The following is special programming sponsored by Public Radio KUNV 91.5. The content of Soul to Soul does not reflect the views or opinions of 91.5 Jazz and More, the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, or the Board of Regents of the Nevada System of Higher Education. This is Soul to Soul, universal ideas for a brighter tomorrow. Today, my guests are Glenda White, CSN Professor of Law, and Erica Patal Lazar. I never pronounce Erica's name exactly right, and she is also a professor at CSN English Literature. Erica, tell me what you actually teach. <laughs> I teach creative writing, and I also teach a literature course that I'm quite proud of. It's Marginal Voices in Dystopian Literature. That's why I can never get it right. So today we are going to talk about one of the most critical thinkers in America today. And we are going to talk about this person, Fred Moten, because he is from Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. He grew up in the West Side. So we're going to start with Glenda because Glenda was a friend of his for years. So, Glenda, first start by telling us who Q.B. Bush is. Okay. Well, I think it's safe to say that Q.B. Bush was the community man, that he lived on D Street for over 60 years, that he was a mentor, a father, a brother, and husband, not only to his immediate family, but to the community as a whole. You could always stop by. He would be sitting in the yard when it's warm enough. He sold the pecans for Christmas, you know, how we like to make sweet potato pies. <laughs> and so he was really the, the go-to person, always there to lend a helping hand. And I think the most important things were the dinners around the QB Bush family table. That's where you got lectured, educated, reprimanded, uh, chastised, and just given some really good advice about life, about Las Vegas, about blackness, and most importantly, what contributions were you going to make mm. to make things better? Wonderful. I really appreciate that. Now, you were one of those children who became one of the godchildren in that household, but also, there was another play brother, and his name was Fred Moten. Tell me about Fred. Well, yes, Fred is, I say, my little brother, but he's uh, quite a bit taller, taller and a little thicker. I might say he won't appreciate that. But I met Mike Davis, who is another Nevadan, Las Vegan, and he knew B. Bernice Moten. And she had a son, Fred Charles Moten. And so when I came to Vegas and was younger and we were out all the time running around, I, we just met Mike at some place, probably some disco club or something like that. And we became friends. And as we developed that friendship, of course, we would talk about different things. He would take me out through the West Side community. And then he told me he wanted me to meet as he called her, Ms. Moten. Ms. Moten was a school teacher. 
She taught Mike in elementary school, junior high, high school at Clark, and even, I think, a class or so out at UNLV. And so naturally, when I met Ms. Moten, which is what I used to call her until about the late 80s, and one day she said to me, don't call me Ms. Moten anymore. And I said, okay, well, what do you want me to call you? And she was so emphatic, I don't know, but don't call me Mrs. Moten anymore. So I was like, gosh, you know, I was taught to be respectful of elders and all. And I didn't want to call her Ms. Bernice. And so I decided I'm going to call you B. And so there began the name of B. Moten or B. Jenkins and everything. And so when I met her and as time went on, of course, I met Fred, who was about 10-ish or 11. And she was so very active in politics and education, and she had to do a lot of traveling. And so a lot of times, Mike would keep Fred or stay over on Rico Street. That's where they lived on Rico. I believe it was 401 Rico Street. (laughs) And so then after she met me and she had to travel to Carson, Seattle, and all around, I began to keep Fred. So I am also the babysitter (laughs) as well as the big sister. And that's how I met young Mr. Moten. (laughs) Wonderful. Now, from there, in classrooms all over the country, people are teaching what Fred is writing. Erica, tell me about you and your class and What you talk about when you talk about Fred Moten, what is the favorite book? What are some of the ideas that you pass along? Oh, wow. I'm still caught up in the story. I'm still sitting at the table (laughs) (laughs) getting all this enrichment that comes from that community love. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking about what a wonderful laboratory that is for a mind that comes out of that community with all of that love and all of that education about what it is to be a human among other human beings. And so that's primarily what I teach in my Marginal Voices in Dystopian Literature course. It is about not only marginalized identities, black, brown, um, non-binary identities, it is about what you do with that particular humanity so that you not only survive, but you thrive and that you also are able to be equipped intellectually, emotionally to also see to intend to the survival of your community. So with that in mind, what I love, and I just introduced my students to snippets of Fred Moten from the Undercommons, Fugitive Planning and Black Study, because what I'm hoping to do, and I, I don't know if my dean will ever hear this, but what I'm hoping to do is to plant seeds of insurgency. Um, And I know that's something you want to talk about, you know, that trilogy that comes out of consent not to be a single being. This is really what I want to impart. Yes, how to analyze and critique literature how to really engage with a short story so that you can really see the theme and how it also reflects your own particular experience. Yes, I'm doing all those things, Dean, if you're listening. But I'm also hoping that I get young minds off the grid. And I think this is what Fred Moten really is able to do so beautifully. And though his study is about Black social life and theories of Blackness, 
And therefore, just wonderful theories about, again, not only surviving, but thriving with our particular histories. But he's also deeply, I think, mining, investigating, and making it possible for us to see how we are beyond measure. We can be informed by our histories, informed by the histories of others, and not bound by. So, Erica... This is probably one of the most complex books I've ever read. I'm reading two books by him. I'm reading Black and Blur and The Undercommons. I am learning to read again. Mm. I am learning to think in a new way. I am learning to be patient because this sentence is so complex. I have to tear it apart. I can't finish this book for the next six months. So I am learning to read all over again. How do you help me understand Fred Moten? Glenda, how do you help me understand what I'm doing, what I'm reading? Well, let me say this. Fred Moten has been shaped by Kingsland, Arkansas, Mm. with his grandparents. And, of course, with his mom. And from that, Kingsland, Arkansas, came Las Vegas. And in Las Vegas, Fred Moden has followed around, as I did when I met B, (laughs) to League of Women voters' meetings. Of course, they used to be held in her basement, and we used to sit on the steps and listen in on the meetings and everything, to all types of community, political, NAACP meetings, to the blues, to the jazz, to the readings of all kinds of books, to some travel internationally. I'll never forget when they shared with me that they had been into Africa and what it was like many, many years ago because his father at one time worked, I believe it was Pan Am uh, Airlines and everything. So sitting around QB's table, being, we used to say, you're dragging us everywhere to all of these meetings, going over to this house, getting out in the community, walking and talking to those people in the houses, in the churches, molded, shaped Fred Moten. Be who you are. Never forget to look back and to lend a helping hand. You have an opportunity. You need to pass that on to others. Thank you. Like I said, I'm learning to read again, and I'm doing it on a level that I've never done before. Erica, Without frightening your students, how do you explain the terminology even Mm -hmm. that he uses in the books? For me, when I read Fred Moten's work, it's almost as though you are entering into another dimension. So I'm going in and I have to suspend, and I love the way that you described that experience as learning to read again. I have to suspend certain expectations Because even as his philosophy of fugitivity being a fugitive, right, an escape from the norm, I think he writes in this way and the music. So when I hand just a snippet of the undercommons, which, 
you know, I think has some moments that are, are very comprehensive, meant to be read by all, as all of his work is. I, I advise my students, and I also have to dispense that advice to myself, you know, because you've got this title of professor. You're supposed to know everything when you read it. You're not supposed to be confounded. But I advise my students to take the unknown with a sense of joy and pleasure. Read as though you're listening to jazz. The music that comes through in the language so even if you don't know a term, mm -hmm. what I advise them, and which I follow my own advice, this counsel, circle it, but just let the music play. Just let it play a and go back to it. Once you've completed the page or the passage, go back to what you did not know and then reread it with that new knowledge and even more notes will ring for you. And I consider myself, you know, reading is the water I swim in, right? But I'm going into like some water that gets a little, <laughs> a little turbulent, mm -hmm. right? But you start to shape, you know, form those muscles and take on like the rhythm of the water when you're reading Fred Moten. Wonderful. And he talks about sculpture, artists, writers, philosophers, and, and the music comes from all genres. He embraces classical, hip-hop, all forms of rap. Oh my God, it's just so eye-opening and head-opening mentally to read him. So ladies, I just love that I am, I have been introduced to somebody different so the last interview I conducted was with a Mrs. Davis, not the Davis that you just talked about two days ago. I was in her house. I said, do you have anything else you'd like to add to this interview? She said, I want to talk about my favorite teacher. She said, I went to the West Side School at one time, and my favorite teacher was Mrs. Moten. I almost mm -hmm. fell out of the chair. And she said, because she finally told us how to be proud of being black. Mm. And she explained it and she talked us through what it was to grow up on the West Side, to embrace everything that we were learning here on the West Side and to use it. I was just floored. And then I told Mrs. Davis about Fred and she just, she was so thrilled. Her face lit up. She said, his mother, that's his mother. His mother taught him that. <laughs> so it was just wonderful. So anything else about Fred Moten and his writing that you'd like to cover before we come back to the West Side in a different way? Well, I, I just have to say, you know, Glenda is mentioned <laughs> in his really big first critical book in the break. He gives you an acknowledgement and you notice that within those acknowledgements of the ladies from the West Side, I mean, just reading that, I already, you can tell I'm already fangirling, but the way he loves the voices of women, the way he pays so much honor, respect, infused with so much joy that he was able to sit with his mother, you know, that, that book of Portrait B. Jenkins, just the way in which he is able to acknowledge the strength of 
that matrilineal presence, for me, that just expands the reverence I have for this man because he, he hasn't only become the scholar and great thinker and humanitarian and artist that he is without having that collective of women around him. And he knows it. And, and that says so much about him as a human being. So this complex thinker came from the historic West Side, right here in Las Vegas. Why is that not surprising to us? It is not surprising to me at all. And I didn't even get to the West Side until the early 70s. But the bits that I began to pick up and the time that I had there during those days and even now, that's what the West Side did. Mm. That's what B. Jenkins did. That's what Eloise Bush did, LaVon Lewis did, Mabel Hogarth, Mm -hmm. and shall I say, Alice Mm Key. you know. So these women, thank you, Erica, these women shaped Fred and picked up on me at 21 years old and began to help reshape, help me grow more, shape the Mike Davises shape the people next door, shape the kids at Madison Elementary School. These women, that's why he is where he is today. That's why I'm not surprised because just what I got in coming in in the early 70s has helped reshape, remold, and me to grow even further and take another path. Wonderful. Uh, so, Erica, could you name some of his books? I see that you have a whole stack over there. Could you give <laughs> us the names? And could you tell us where he is now and what he's doing? The trilogy that is sort of like the foundation of a lot of his ideas and investigations, because I don't think his ideas are ever complete. You know, he's always willing to see more and therefore say more. But that trilogy that comes under the consent not to be a single thing, to being a single thing, that's Black and Blur was the first in that um, trilogy. And then The Universal Machine, which The Universal Machine uh, takes a look at three philosophers that he's really putting in conversation with one another, Hannah Arendt, uh, Emmanuel Levinas, And, of course, Franz Fanon, which is the key to a lot of race theory, right? The rebel and seer. And the last one is Stolen Lives. And so that's um, a pushing back to the idea that in blackness, um, we've had something stolen that can never be reclaimed. Now, the fact that it was stolen, that something has been stolen, I don't think that's really of issue or question, but the reclaiming, I think, is really what Fred is interested in. So, yes, those are three um, very pivotal works. And then the Undercommons um, in the break is just a beautiful just celebration of, of voices and images of the Black aesthetic. And Little Edges is just, I, I actually knew of Fred Moten first through his poetry. Mm-hmm. And then my friend Naila Orr, 
hipped me to the essay work and I was like, oh, oh my goodness. And that's what, <laughs> that's what this friendship and, and what Fred Moten said um, so beautifully uh, during a Trin Trinity Church uh, Sunday s sermon. You have to pick, you have to see it. It's on YouTube. And I think it was from January 2020. And he talked about Kingsland, Arkansas so beautifully and his grandfather. And when his grandfather was ill, and he had this riotous, gorgeous, you know, truck garden. And how the community, particularly neighbors, came in and helped to tend to this garden when his grandfather was ill. And for all of this hard work, they didn't want anything in return. And the mother of that family, when she refused anything, you know, because proud people will at least say, take something, you did... She said, this is how we fellowship. And so turning what is usually just an abstract noun into that verb, I think is what Fred Moten does. This is how he fellowships, which is to say, my friend letting me know that this poet that I so loved was also an essayist. This is her way of fellowshipping with me. This conversation is the way that we fellowship. I think Fred Moten, I, he loves to begin conversation that does not end further inquiry where are we going from this so i spoke of his name as though i know him <laughs> i have yet to meet this gentleman i plan to but he's so intimate in the language and so free in what he wants to give you which is freedom wonderful um so the next time he's in town of course we have to meet him glinda well, I will certainly, certainly make that happen. <laughs> so please tell us where he is now and what he's doing. Okay, so now he is at NYU, and uh, he's in that department of literature and African-American and all of those things that go together with that. Mm -hmm. um, he is still writing. I am hopeful that he may be here later in the summer. That was one of our conversations, if things will break. I know he's doing some travel, but he had told me that he was going to try to um, minimize some of that now. He has two, I think, teenage boys now. So now there's a different role to play. So he, he may not be traveling quite as much, but he is in New York at NYU. Both he and Laura, his, his wife, are at NYU. Wonderful. So, Glenda... Do you have any closing remarks about QB that you'd like to offer? I was at QB Bush's house on Sunday. <laughs> it was Mother's Day. The kids are still there. I make it a point to go to the west side, but I make it a specific point to go to QB Bush's house and sit around the dinner table, although the dinner table is long and chairs are empty, mm -hmm. but we still sit, we still talk, sometimes cry, we still laugh and remember when all those chairs were filled with good conversation, good people, good thoughts and directions. And let me not leave out debate and arguments. <laughs> oh, good. Those are always welcome. <laughs> Those make the dinner date. Yes. So, so that's, that's what I would say. Wonderful. Thank you. Erica, any closing remarks about the West Side? I'd like for you to 
talk about how the West Side is beginning to change now. And you w- you're with an organization that's helping to do some things there. Would you like to s- just say a few words? I see the West Side as becoming a future place that's informed by the past. The fact that we celebrate so many great performers and spaces of performance that have been a part of that history. I I am also excited by the fact that we can celebrate the intellect that comes out of the West Side, along with Fred right now being it, you know, NYU in New York. We have a young artist working in tech and diversifying the tech space and the arts in tech, Salome Asagai, who was also from the West Side. Rose McKinney James is not from the West Side, but worked on the West Side with Miss Ruby Duncan, Mm -hmm. and she's in the renewable energy field. So when I think of the West Side, I think of all the ways of celebratory blackness, right? What we see, what has been hyper-visible so beautifully. But I'm also excited about the things that run those spaces and how blackness contributes and propels, pushes forward ideas uh, for the future of that space. So Obodo, which is the nonprofit that I founded with a good friend, uh, Brian Dice, in which you are so blessedly on the board of, Clay T., we are hoping to be a part of that coming future. Wonderful. Any closing remarks? Glenda, I see you taking notes over there furiously. So is there something else that you wanted to mention? I just want to say that I grew up in Tennessee. I came to Las Vegas and I grew up again. Mm, Yes. Because of all the names that we have mentioned and so many more that we didn't. And the West Side certainly helped reshape me and it plays a vital role in the future for posterity and ever after. Yes, I agree with that. Uh, When I started going to the West Side, I was much older than that. I won't even say how old, but my life was reshaped completely. So ladies, thank you so much for this first episode of Soul to Soul. Soul to Soul is about universal ideas for a brighter tomorrow. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Special Programming, sponsored by Public Radio KUNV 91.5. The content of this program does not reflect the views or opinions of 91.5 Jazz and More, the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, or the Board of Regents of the Nevada System of Higher Education. 